For your double time Here to be a comfort in your tough times I have compassion for your trouble mind And here to hold it down for the front line Hey, you're my sunshine, baby For your double time Here to be a comfort in your tough times I have compassion for your trouble mind And here to hold it down for the front line Hey, you're my sunshine, baby Success series. That was David Ruffin Jr.'s Time of My Life, his newest single, followed up by the classic Temptations, Ain't Too Proud to Beg, led by his father, David Ruffin. We talk about uh, a lot in David Ruffin Jr.'s life, his upgrowing in uh, Detroit. We talk about his first claim to fame. You know his voice from a hip-hop classic he wrote with Dr. Dre and Stoop Dogg called Gin and Juice. You heard his voice on the interplay there. And um, was very, very successful in helping that become a multi-platinum hit. He was recently featured on Fox TV shows I Can See Your Voice Season 2. And he's got great new appearances and music coming up. We talk about that 
as well as much, much more. David Ruffin Jr. and I are coming at you right now. I wanted to interview you because I thought, well, this is kind of an interesting story here. Not only are you the son of David Ruffin, the legendary Motown artist, you're a vocalist yourself, an artist yourself. I thought it'd be interesting to hear your perspective on the music industry. You can talk about your life. Let us know what you want us to know. Okay. I'll follow your lead. I'm pretty good at this. Okay. So my question is, where is David Ruffin Jr. from and who is he? Well, hmm. I'm blessed and fortunate to, and and I'm excited to always say I'm from Motown. I'm from Detroit, Michigan, um, the real Motor City. And um, it's you know it was fun growing up in Detroit. Uh, where you know around my time, maybe just before there was a lot of uh, racial tension, and maybe after the you know the unfortunate um, cocaine or. A crack epidemic hit Detroit pretty hard, but between that time, Detroit was um, uh, love that neighbor, um, clean, fun, wholesome city, and I always, um, I always represent Detroit, no matter where I am. Uh, not only is it in me, it's also on me with the uh, Detroit Tigers D on my arm. Amen. And what people don't understand, probably because of history and the way things went down in Detroit, was that at the time of Motown, that area of Motown, not only where it was, but uh, East Boston Avenue, where my people were from, those were pretty wealthy areas in Detroit that African-Americans were living in at the time. I'm sure you can talk on that. Well, it just so happens that uh, just adjacent to Palmer Woods is where I grew up, on a street called Parkside, and it was very integrated, and it was what people on the other side of the avenue would call a mansion, but it wasn't. Um, it was much larger and much grandiose, much more grandiose than a lot of other homes. And But I did grow up in a really, really pr- pretty house, and um, my father and mother brought me up there until they split, which was around, I was around 10 years old. Um, but the neighborhood, um, beautiful trees, fortunately for us, cause it wasn't like that in Detroit everywhere, but beautiful roads. <laughs> uh, all the neighbors were cool. You could go, you know, all the kids played together. The parents hung out together, you know, the neighbors and whatnot. Um, it's a really fun, peaceful Pablo Island uh was always fun. I've had many a birthdays there, so I have many of my other sisters and cousins, nieces and nephews. Um, Shane Park was always fun. Palmer Park was always fun, especially for those of us who live locally, just adjacent to it. Um, and then the real mansions were just across seven miles. So uh, a lot of the kids that were in that so, so-called gray area you know, well, we hung out on both sides of the avenue where uh, kids past seven mile weren't necessarily hanging out with the kids past six mile, but all the kids in between were doing both, and it was kind of fun. Um, Detroit was an awesome place to, to grow up, and um, uh, I learned a lot about how to be um, a gentleman from Detroit. Uh, yeah, my, my parents raised a good child, my mama especially, but, I mean, there was a lot of um, courteous and polite people 
around me growing up. So that's my awesome. Detroit experience. What is your experience with that whole Detroit thing? Because your father had a career before you were probably thought of, probably both of us were thought of, um, as little David Bush. And I'm just getting into music that he would was recording in 1960, 61. So I'm just getting into that. But the music that I know from my grands playing it, over and over and over, Little Miss Sweetness, and It's Growing, and, I mean, all these awesome songs. What, when, when was your introduction into knowing just what Motown is and your dad? I mean, you know, that's a hard one to nail because um, from the time I can remember to, to the time my father died, he was uh, almost always, if not literally, in his mind, in the middle of a production. Um, wow. I grew up with, you know, musicians in and out, singers in and out of the house, and my father taking me to studios, and my father taking me to radio stations, and my father taking me to performances, and taking me on the road. I mean, as a, as a, little, as a, as a little kid, and as a young teenager as well, on the reunion tour, um, Ah oh, man, that just has me thinking about some of the stories. Um, some of the stories about, uh, um, you know, just Detroit as a whole. But um, not to not to lose too too much track about what I was saying and what I uh, I don't know. I got sidetracked by a thought. However, um, uh, refresh my refresh me with your question. You came into your father's career after he had the My Girls and the major, you know, with the the, the talent, the, the the talented five. The right, right. What five. was it? What was it? What was it that kind of exposed me to it? Um, what it really yeah. exposed me to it. I didn't realize my father was a temptation for many years. I guess until I was about five. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just knew he was in a band <laughs> and that's, oh wow, <laughs> you know, that's all it meant to me is that he was in a band. And then I guess it was my sisters that made me aware. My older sisters, uh, all my sisters are older than me. I'm the youngest, made me aware of, you know, exactly who he was. And then, you know, seeing him on television, I was like, oh wow. And then of course it was almost, it was weird. Uh, I went to public school and people in school knew who I was before I even knew who they were. I mean, it was a, it was a trip. Um, (laughs) being, it was almost, it was almost the same time I realized who he was. Um, everybody in school realized it too. And I don't know if it's because I started talking about it to someone or not, but I used to have to run home. It was almost like I was David Ruffin. People would chase me home, especially it was 90% girls. Um, was, I'm sure you didn't mind that after a while, huh? No, no, I did. My parents didn't like it either because I was coming home in my underwear or or a, a <laughs> pair of torn up pants and and everybody taking all my clothes off of me. But I guess I was about five years old, and then um, you know it really meant a lot more to me when uh, on the reunion tour when I was 12, uh, he took me out on the road on that tour, and I started working for the production itself and my, for my father as his valet and then eventually for Eddie. And then it turned into me doing 
valet work for almost every one of the seven temptations that were on, you know, on that tour. But, um, that was the, you know, that was like, wow, he's not only is a part of the temptations, the temptations are bigger than just the people that I thought were a part of them. And then of course that's always been kind of the case, but for me it was just like, wow. Um, I've known for, I guess, you know, majority of my life that he was important. This is going to be an interesting question. When you talk about the talented five temptations, you know, David Ruffin, Eddie Kendricks, um, you know, Otis Williams, Paul Williams, and Melvin Franklin, you're talking about people who had a brand. And before brands were even thought of, Back in the day, nobody even thought about that. They thought about having a career. They thought about singing. They thought about making a living. And my girl, um, the girl's all right with me. I'm losing you. Many of the classics that your father uh, sang on, he, they would call him a sounder singer, meaning that he is that distinctive raw voice. I wish it would rain. The, the words that he would sing, it, it was sort of like poetry. He's explaining the song. And he pulls you into each and every word. But those songs, even though individually they won Grammys back in the day, very few African-Americans were actually winning that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to know your opinion. Your father was a sounder. That's what they call people today, the brands. You, you'll hear the, the Bruno Mars, that's a brand today. You hear many of these other singers. But then there was your father. Your father had a distinctive voice he brought to a group. When he left, he took that sound and they couldn't replicate, but were able to find another sound. Your father was with the Romantic Temptations. Even though he sang some pretty, you know, uh, truth-worthy songs, if you think about, you know, My Girl, I Wish It Would Rain, those are love songs, you know, blues songs. Um, The other was the message music that came out. Um, When you came along, he was doing... Walk Away From Love, I believe, and other songs within that genre. How do you think that um, today, of all the temptations, your father is probably the most <laughs> remembered? Maybe Dave, maybe Dennis Edwards, maybe Eddie Kendricks. But when you talk about that soulful, uh, emotive sound, nobody does that like David Ruffin. <laughs> nobody. <laughs> you can't. I've, you've, never, you've heard some great singers. But then there's David Ruffin. Right. I mean, it just, the words he would sing, I wish it would rain. You really did wish it would rain. <laughs> okay. Right. Like, oh, my God. Uh, you That you can't replicate. And that's what people remember today. Not so much the temptation. Yeah, the temptations as a whole. We've got the Broadway play and all that. But that sound, no right. one c- can replicate. Um, it. You know what I'm talking about, the brand. He not was a brand. Even, not, even the, not even the Temptations were able to replicate that, as you mentioned. Oh, no, they had to go with message music because I believe Dennis Edwards was more of the, the guy on the corner who would tell you what's going on, <laughs> you know. Yeah. David was the one yeah. that would tell you about all the emotions and the different things of, of, a, of a song. Right. Little Miss Sweetness, also, I love that song. It was, it was also the, the funk era, too, that came. And, yeah, and help mold that new sound for them. But he all, but your dad also had hits after the Temps. My whole world ended the moment, right. and then you know, walk away from love, which was perfect. I mean, you hear that, you know, 
tenor, and it's just like, wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. even when he came back for the reunion um, and afterwards, uh, you, you just, that's a voice you can't, can't. What did you think as you were valeting the different seven, you say, everybody had something to bring to the group. But mm-hmm. they had to get back to when you, you said you're 12 years old, uh, standing on the top and whatnot. That was a monster album. What were you thinking at the time? Um, you're a kid, but now you're a grown man. That was a monster when it came out. Yeah, it was. But because I kind of grew up with all of these cats, it was not. It was nothing. It was. Um, it was just another, you know, oddly enough, it was just another day. I wasn't having, uh, I wasn't starstruck by any of them at any point because I knew them all personally and seen them all be silly or seen them all be upset. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, I even learned a lot from all of them individually, um, even collectively, watching how they didn't get along off stage, but on stage they made it look like, they were the best of friends and I always respected that. Well, didn't know I respected that, but I always thought that was interesting. Later I figured out the interesting thing just equated to um, the respect that I had for them to do so. Um, Did it inspire you? Did it inspire you to do music or Well, what what inspired me to do music? Well, my first Mm, it's weird. My first, the first two things simultaneously that I discovered in an artistic way beyond my drawing capacities was DJing and um, writing poetry. Oh, wow. So somewhere along the line, um, my poetry started going over some of the songs that I was spinning and I then became a big fan in the interim of hip hop and rap and then basically switched some of my poems into rap songs and there I was. So it was poetry, DJing, then it was a collaboration of the two, and then it was, oh boy, I'm rapping. So that's how I got all the way in. Now, how I became a singer was, um, my father um, got a cassette that I sent him, and he played the music, and he didn't like it. And he said, I'm not a fan of it, I don't appreciate, you know, that stuff. That's a fad. Uh, If you're going to start singing, then we're going to do something. And until that time, good luck with that. I'm like, dang, for real? It's like that? I didn't say that out loud. (laughs) But I I, I mean, I didn't say it's like that. I was like, dang, like, ouch. But, like, it took me a year or two. Once again, I kind of switched up. So I started off switching up my poems and rap songs, and then I turned rap songs into sing to R and B, and which was easy enough. Just took out words and changed some of them up to something more appropriate or romantic or love oriented or conscious oriented or whatever the case may be at the particular time. 
And then I played some of those, three of those songs for him over the phone um, about a year later. And he was in Europe, actually. And um, he got really excited and was like, now that's what I'm talking about. So wow. because, wow. because, because as not only a son, but a junior, you know, it were even, I guess, by default, probably always seeking the approval of our parents, especially our fathers as men or boys or males, that I was super duper, super duper excited because he kind of shot me down before that. And then now he's like, yo, I'm, I, I'm feeling this now you're, so I was, I was happy as an artist, but I was also happy as his son. Awesome. Now, your father has been portrayed over the years. Well, he's an artist artist, okay? He's an artist. I'll just say that. Rock star. Rock star. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And um, he knew his voice. It was interesting. I remember, I'm just going to say the movie. Well, he couldn't be replaced. Um, they could get another lead singer, but he couldn't be replaced. And what parts of his career going forward after the Temptations, the whole My World ended, and then forward into uh, you know them reuniting, which they needed to do? Uh, what parts do you believe that he thought were the absolute best when he first started in the fifties, sixties, or do you think that he was happy where he was? And then, you know, what do I think? This is, this is a good question. Where do I believe my father was happiest in his career? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. I believe my father was happiest in the second to the second to just before the end. I don't know. It's a toss-up. It's a toss-up between um, the first year with Temptations, uh, so that second year to the end, I believe, was his best favorite time. However, because of how much he missed his buddies, um, and that was Eddie, I mean, and that was uh, Richard and Melvin and Glenn and as even Otis to some regard because he, you know, he was touring with um, uh, Eddie anyway. They were doing stuff anyway. So uh, for all of them to get together, I think, I think, and what I remember from, (laughs) from what I remember actually Un- probably unfortunately for for some people, but that was probably his most rock star time was the reunion tour because mm-hmm. he had all of the old fans and then he had the new fans of the new temptations. And then he had the fans of the new music they released and they had the fans of Rick James. So, uh, it probably was that time, and they were all partying kind of at that point. They were all uh, 
you know, not probably not all, but most of them were partying. And I remember nights when it was daytime when I was on the road and my father was coming in the room. And I remember nights or mornings when it was time to go and I had to go get everybody's bags because they weren't ready to go. So, I mean, that was probably one of their really cool, cool experiences. I would think somewhere around the world, somebody's got some footage of them, you know, off stage and how much fun they were having. And then, of course, it reminds me of what it might have been like for them on the road those first four years, the first four years. Mm-hmm. 61 to uh, 61 to 65. Yeah. Another interesting question. In 85, uh, they got to be a part of Live Aid, which is very rare for any classic artist to have even been a part of at the time. They were with Hall & Oates. What was your dad's opinion of actually being on that stage with a new generation of people because that was worldwide globally. They they broadcast that worldwide. I mean, he was excited. Um, I mean, any time he could get, you know, uh, an opportunity to reach more people because, you know, music stuff was changing and there was a lot more genres and or demographics and, you know, he's old school, so it was more difficult for him to, you know, latch on to it, but he was. And fortunately for a lot of the, you know, um, this, the, the second uh, wave of R&B pioneers were, you know, still fans of Temptations and David Ruffin. And for him, uh, it was, you know, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, some sort of confirmation I would imagine that, you know, he was the voice because it wasn't everybody else being asked to come. It was I studied up on that. I studied up on that. I looked it up online. And when Daryl Hall goes, I want to introduce you to, you know, lead singers, former lead singers of the Temptations, and mentioned uh, David Ruffin, Eddie Kendricks, people went crazy. And you're looking at the crowd, and it's like, wow. They probably, was it 16, 18? <laughs> 20, but I guess they listen to their grandmom and granddad's music, you know? Right. Yeah, so that was really, it, the looks on their faces, they looked like they were having a great time. Um, in the 80s, though, and late 90s, they were they were all touring in, in different variations, where your father was with Eddie and with Dennis Edwards, who was the lead singer after him. We're were they both uh, uh, fans of one another, or at least friends before the switcheroo of lead singers? Yes, yes, they were. Um, of course, wow. you know, um, their underground, the underground over there, you know, was um, pretty well connected, and you know, buzz went quickly. My father was a fan, and Dennis was a fan, um, and there, of course, what was a moment, a brief moment in the and the onset of the switch that my father didn't like him, but Dennis didn't, I don't think, I don't think he returned that energy. So whenever my father got over it, they became cool and stayed cool um, until, until my father uh, left him here with Eddie. When your father passed, I know friends were really shocked, 
my my thing in, in doing an interview with you is you have that legacy and that uh, that blood. And how do you want fans and new fans? Because believe it or not, you know we've got the temptations on you know on stage. Your father's being portrayed, and um, how do you want people to remember your father, uh, the rock star, the artist, the um, the soul founder? Are are those my options? Well, you can add any more or, or uh, subtract. <laughs> Did you say soul founder? Um, when I say soul sounder, he he was soul for sure, but it was a distinct, a uh, very distinct yeah. emotive sound. Yeah. I mean, you like I say, there are very few. There are people who can sing words, and they sound great. David made you believe the words he was singing. Right. That's that's a, there's a difference in that, and that's a sound. That's a when he can get into the emotion of what those lyrics are just either make you cry, make you happy, make you jump up and down and, and uh, really make you contemplate. Very few people have that gift. Right. When he's saying littleness, sweetness, uh, I was just like, wow. Okay. Sweetest girl in the world. I believe it. (laughs) I believe those words. You know, he was um, very good at emoting. Um, he very, he definitely, um, he definitely possessed um, the energy and the aura of the songs that were in front of him. And it almost didn't matter. He could almost always connect to what it was supposed to be, even if that was slightly different than what it was designed to be. Now, his upbringing, do you think his upbringing had something to do with why he could do that? Um, I don't know. I wouldn't. That's a good question that I really, I mean, I really don't know. If I had to guess, I would say yes. I do think that had something to do with it. He grew up in the church. Hmm. Now, Ruffin, David... And there's another one, Jimmy. Were they related and how? Absolutely. They're brothers. Um, they grew up in the same house with the same daddy. That's it. I mean, that's, that's, really, that's really my uncle. Um, there's another uncle of mine that I have, Quincy Ruffin as well, um, who, mm-hmm. who uh, was much older than them. But uh, he passed away uh, recently. I would say it's been about, it's been about, no, it's been about five, maybe four or five since my uh, eldest uncle passed and my uncle Jimmy passed in 2015 or 16 Mm -hmm. and um, my dad in 91 Mm -hmm. at 50, I think it's 50. Wow. Wow. Now, we're talking Motown sound, and I wanted to end with black businesses. Motown hit when it did, and it was successful. There were others who tried to do that before. Um, Motown was able to open way for Gamble and Huff. And, of course, then music changed. But let's talk about Detroit, the 60s, and that whole surround where you had a 20 grand nightclub. You had motels, hotels, you name it. 
part of my family story was told in the movie Detroit. And a lot of facts just weren't true about the Algiers. But I don't think that in one place where you have the Temptations, the Tops, the Supremes, the Marvelettes, the, you know, Martha Reeve and the Vandellas, Smokey Rob, you have all this explosion of black talent before, you know, drugs or whatever came into being and the black clubs. Do you think that we can ever maybe get back to more black businesses owning and, and people owning their own businesses, their own brands? Because that's why I think it was such a success. Do I think that we can ever get back to that? Yeah, a bit more of it. I don't think anything will be totally segregated, but you have to admit not since a Motown or even a Gamble and Huff have you seen such a concentration of music and a music that hits the charts and groups that have hit in an explosion of popularity in that way. Well, well, with the, you know, with, with people like the Joneses and the, and the uh, Daniels and the uh, Perrys, um, I would say, yes. I mean, um, they're not, you know, Pro, they're 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 pro black, but not to any distasteful regard. Um, my thing is is nothing great is done alone, uh, and uh, even when you do something great as a team, usually more energy means more success. So I mean, the more minds that come together, the better. Um, do I ever think that we can get back to that? I think we're on our way there in a comfortable way. I don't think it's abrupt. I don't think it looks over. I don't think it looks uh, black, too black, too strong. I think it looks like um, a better understanding uh, of ourselves. And that's something that any other type of race or walk of life or from any planet could probably respect and understand better than anything else. Amen. Is there anything else you want us to know about your career or what you do? And uh, just let us know. I, um, as of this year, was on a television show on Fox called I Can See Your Voice, season Amen. two. Amen. Uh, I was on episode 10, and although I did not win the episode, I did, uh, was fortunate to be a part of a young lady who, uh, young lady's experience who won $100,000. Wow. And, um, it's nice to be a part of something like that. Um, I was eliminated prior to the finale. However, um, I felt pretty good about mm, where I ended up on the show. How Because if I had won the show, I wouldn't have been able to perform the song that I wanted to perform. And everybody would have missed out on how um, how I carry the torch or miss out how I try to represent. Um, I'm also, you know, the, the voice behind a lot of hip-hop um, music throughout my life, um, but most known for uh, the voice and the, the penmanship behind a Snoop Dogg and Dr. Dre hit called Gin and Juice. That's me. And I'm on a lot of other songs that probably I shouldn't say on this particular channel. <laughs> so, but, um, but I mean, I've been around for a minute and I'm going to be around again for a while. I just released two new singles, uh, this year, uh, one of them on January 18th, on my father's birthday, 
and I plan to release another song here in the next few weeks. I have a new song called Time of My Life, which is on every platform. Um, the video release will, like I said, that will be out here shortly. And if you follow me on all of my platforms or any of my platforms, um, you'll get wind of it. I am David Ruffin Jr., no spaces, pretty much on every social media. I'm also uh, able to be kept up with a little bit here and there and can listen to some of my music and can download uh, something from me directly at davidruffinjr.com. Um, there's a lot going on. I am playing an attorney in the Brenda Harris story. There's, um, uh, Sons of Motown, which is the all male offspring of a temptation, which is Paul Williams, Jr., David Ruffin, Jr., C.J. Jefferson, which is Dennis Edwards, God's son, Melvin Franklin, Jr., and myself. Um, I'm also on another production with Sons of Soul Legends, Jackie Wilson's son, Solomon Burke's son, Lou Rawls' son, myself, um, Joe Tech's son, um, T.J. Hooker's son, Johnny Taylor, I mean, excuse me, son. Um, uh, Who am I leaving out? I don't think I'm leaving anybody out, but... um, there's a lot going on here in the coming year. I'm doing quite a few shows, which will also be listed on my social media. And I'm coming to Kansas. I'm coming to Chicago. I'm coming to San Diego. And that's just from here to August. So that's, I guess, enough of what I'll share here and now. And again, if you can find me on my social media, you'll probably be updated on what's happening. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever. Yeah, get us some of your music, and we'll, we'll play it during breaks, or at least a snip of it, and tell people where to go to get it and who that is. You know, it'd be kind of interesting. I think it would be awesome. But um, I wanted to know: Do you remember the twenty grand? Do you remember any of these um, places that I've mentioned? I Detroit? do. I do remember. I do remember. I'm surprised you didn't say St. Regis, but um, I, I remember the twenty grand. Not only do I remember the twenty grand when it got shut down, I was part of the uh house music um uh uh epidemic in detroit that helped the 20 grand reopen so um yeah i've i've been there i've been there uh i was there as a child too but i don't have a whole lot of memories i just remember running around that place as about a about a three about a three-year-old maybe you know I, Mm -hmm. i do remember that um you know i when i went there i had memories uh i and when I went there the last time was just about five years ago and it brings back memories, but my mom and father and a a lot of my father's friends and family and my mom's friends and have memories of the 20 grand. So, you know, there should be probably a whole movie about it. There should be a movie. There should also be markers for some of these places where I know when they tore down the Algiers, which is one of the hotels that my people own, there's no marker to even say, what it was in the movie they portrayed it differently and also they in the end they portrayed the 20 grand differently than the glory that it actually was 
So there actually should be historical markers for generations to understand. There were black businesses that were successful that helped Motown, you know, because Motown artists played there all the time, you know, up until they got, you know, to Abel's. Thank you so much for being with us. And, of course, you're invited back at any time you have something new you want to shout out. And we do live events, so anytime you have something, just keep me abreast, and I'll let you know if you want to come on for a couple minutes and let people know what's going on, or if you're going to be in town and where, that'd be great. Um, you know, that way people can get acquainted with what you do. Um, I think it's just been great. Thanks so much for being with me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Miss Sabrina Marie. Sabrina <laughs> Marie. Sabrina, I know you want to leave me, but I refuse to let you go. If I have to beg and plead for your sympathy, I don't mind because you mean that much to me. Ain't too proud to beg, sweet darling. Sabrina, don't leave me, girl. Don't you go. I'm not too proud to plead, baby, baby. Please don't leave me, girl. Don't you go. Ciao. Ciao. Thank you so much. You're welcome.